Welcome. Glad to have you with us. If you just turned the radio on, we have been carrying the uh, press conference on the shootings up in Maine. Uh, we really haven't learned very much. We don't know, you know, what areas they suspect uh, they'll find him in. Uh, they they just haven't. And I don't even know why they had the, the press conference, uh, to tell you the truth. But we do know the confirmation of 18 dead, 13 injured. And the media are already starting to ask questions about mass shootings and what age group and what, uh, what sex, et cetera, et cetera. So we know uh, that my preliminary uh, observation is panning out. Uh, that's, that's where they're going to cover this. Uh, it's just the knee-jerk reaction of the left whenever something like this happens. Again, if you go to crimeresearch.org, you will discover that we are by no means even close to the uh, country with the most mass shootings. Uh, the the details are all there. Dr. John Lott has done the research. Um, and, you know, going after the, the weapon is not the solution. Any more than banning forks will stop obesity. Uh, and as they know in Great Britain, uh, <laughs> they, they've got the same problem. Uh, and not only firearms, but knives. <laughs> now they're looking at banning sharp knives. I'm not kidding. It's the people, not the tool. In the meantime, I'd never, uh, I, I really don't understand this social emotional learning standards that apparently um, is being rejected. So uh, Patrick Ishmael is on board from the Show Me Institute to explain this. Uh, Patrick, welcome to the program. What exactly is social emotional learning? Well, thanks for having me on, Gary. Uh, Social-emotional learning is kind of a catch-all, empty vessel that, generally speaking, I think people view it as uh, an approach to helping kids learn better. Um, It's based on an idea called trauma-informed care. That's for a very specific set of kids who have been through, as you might suspect, trauma uh, and have very specific kinds of needs. But what you're seeing in a lot of the educational systems around the United States K-12 in particular, is that they're adopting SEL as kind of a way, unfortunately, to put a lot of woke ideas into the classroom. And SEL can mean a lot of different things. It's kind of like critical race theory, where there's this core of ideas, but a lot of things get attached to it. And in California, SEL uh, focuses to a great extent on uh, sexual education for uh, K-12, through including kindergarten, first and second grade. And in Missouri, they were talking about adopting SEL standards. And again, because it's oftentimes ambiguous exactly what they're going to be teaching, is it, is it going to be about sex ed? What is it going to be? Um, there's a lot of controversy that surrounds it, and, and rightfully so. Uh, in Missouri, it's not even clear that the Missouri Board of Education, which was going to uh, require that districts adopt these SEL standards, even had the authority uh, to to do this kind of work. And last week they, they ended up deciding not to actually require that these school districts across the state adopt SEL uh, in the classroom and, and among their teachers. And I think that's the right thing to do. There's there's no reason for uh, school districts to be getting involved in, in basically being, this is kind of how it's evolving, into becoming a second set of parents for kids. Uh, because when you start treating all kids like victims, uh, you're going to get a lot of, I think, unintended consequences. So, and the, the real issue here, I think, is that you know you have the school board, 
the state school board, which is pushing these standards. That, but <laughs> the, the DESE and, and the state school system isn't even doing the basics right. And they keep freelancing off into these, you know, kind of woke priorities, but they're not educating kids. We have only one in three kids in Missouri proficient in math. That's crazy. Uh, and, and then we found out last week, too, that the the commissioner of, of uh, Essie, uh, Margie Van Dieven, is retiring. Uh, and so and I think she'd been in office for maybe seven years so far. She's going to retire at the end of this coming year. Um, it has been a lot of failure, unfortunately, for Missouri schools and Missouri students. Uh, and the fact that that DESE and that the school board was taking a look at this at all, I think is really kind of a hallmark of, of that failure. The kids aren't able to, to read well, write well, do math well, and this is what DESE is focused on. I'm glad that they didn't mandate this to, to these districts, but at the same time, there's been a lot of lost years for kids, uh, and, and they really do need the state and school district need to get back to basics. Well, uh, this doesn't mean that school districts can't do this on their own, does it? This doesn't eliminate them doing it. Correct, correct. And I think that that's one thing to keep in mind here is that for parents who are concerned about social-emotional learning or about anything else, critical race theory, anything, anything along those lines, school districts still have a lot of latitude to adopt their own policies. And so even when the state says we're not going to require that you adopt social-emotional learning standards, um, I think there's still lots of school districts that are inclined to just adopt them anyway. And you see this in a lot of other areas, too. The federal government does this all the time when it comes to universities and colleges, where uh, during the Obama years, this was very common, where they would have these dear colleague letters that they would say, you know, uh, on-campus sexual abuse is a priority of this administration. We're not passing a law here, uh, but we'd kind of like you to do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of universities and, and colleges would adopt the, the sort of standards that the administration wanted. In this case, we're talking about state policymaking. And so in this case, it's a, it's a, it, it, with SEL, it is, has not been adopted as a state standard or as a, a mandate on districts. But, you know, districts can still read the standard and still adopt those standards. So uh, if there are concerns, I think, you know, this goes for anything with parents. Uh, you need to be engaged with your schools and your school districts. You need to, it's a lot of times, unfortunately, schools and school districts are not terribly transparent about what they are teaching kids in the classroom or how they're training teachers. Uh, and so whether you're talking about a rural school district or an urban school district, there are over 500 school districts in the state. Any one of them could adopt these SEL standards. And not only these SEL standards, but they could kind of make up their own too. So you, you have to be vigilant. SEL can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. And I think parents have a right to know exactly what is being brought into the classroom, whether it's in curricula or whether it's in the trainings for the teachers themselves. Oh, no, not according to them. They are the ones that know about teaching. You're just uh, supposed to send your kid in and let them have at it. Um, this, um, I want to kind of change directions a bit here. If you just turn the radio on, Patrick Ishmael is with us from the Show Me Institute. When you talked about, uh, uh, I think it was math standards, you said uh, that uh, kids weren't doing particularly well. Who does the testing? Who comes up with the standards? 
Oh, that's a that's a great question. It's a state that, generally speaking, does. And of course, there is there are national tests that are, are conducted as well, where you can do apples to apples comparisons between states. But the state itself sets standards, and I think that they've had, gosh, maybe a half dozen different testing regimes for for establishing exactly what uh, success looks like in the state. And so it's very hard to compare over a series of years whether the state is doing better or worse based off of that that single test. Now, as far as curriculum is concerned, the state, generally speaking, sets broad strokes what has to be included in a curriculum. But a lot of those specifics are kind of filled in by the districts themselves. So uh, the state may say that you have to have a, a class that focuses on the Civil War or some portion of it focuses on the Civil War, but that may be for a single year in, in high school, for instance. But how that class is taught, uh, you know, what year in particular that, that content is taught, that might vary from, from school district or school to school. So uh, from a standards perspective, from a testing perspective, there are, there's a federal component and a state component. And of course, with the federal government, you, you always have, you know, uh, pressure to teach certain subjects through grants or, or what have you. But from a, uh, an actual content perspective, the broad contours are generally speaking set by the state, but the districts themselves have a lot of latitude in implementing uh, curricula uh, in a way that, that they prefer. And, and we've seen this. We, we did uh, our Show Me uh, curricula project a couple years ago, and it, it is remarkable how, how often curricula is hired out to private firms to basically, you know, a school district will more or less buy a curriculum bring it in uh, and we'll sometimes say if you want you know if you want to see this content it's subject to copyright these, these are things that we cannot duplicate for you unfortunately or that's that's how it's it's told um, but every school district I guess not every school district but usually school districts will differ from uh, district to district, school to school, it really just kind of depends. Maybe the differences aren't terribly big in some cases, but uh, there is a lot of latitude. And you can imagine that uh, a school district uh, in Mexico, Missouri, is going to have a different curriculum than a, a district uh, in Kansas City, Missouri. So do they kind of uh, come up with their own report card? Do they get to say, yeah, we're doing really well, but it's their metric? You know, I, I'm sure that they, they can do that, and I'm sure they do do that. Um, but, uh, you know, there are standard standardized testing uh, practices in place. And not only that, I mean, if you go to mostschoolrankings.org, which is a website that we operate and that my colleague Susan Pentegrass has done a great job with, there is, there is data out there from the federal government that you can make apples to apples comparisons between schools and between school districts about. And so, you know, uh, you can have, uh, you know, over 500 school districts and you can see exactly, you know, how they do compared to one. Now, what's remarkable to me though, is that, you know, you look at the data and you find out that only on average one in three kids in Missouri is proficient in math, but, <laughs> Basically, no school districts, to my knowledge, are unaccredited. 
over 500 school districts, and yet on average one in three kids is, is proficient in math. Like the math doesn't actually make sense in that case. And so there are a lot of layers of problems here. One is the way in which we accredit schools. How is it possible that we could have no unaccredited schools and the average Missouri student uh, may be not proficient in math? Um, I think you have to reform the accreditation side of it. So the schools that are failing, you know, districts that are failing, you know, have to go into some sort of a remediation process. I think you have to have transparency in curricula. I think you have to have transparency in training for teachers as well. Those are things that, that the legislature can do right now. Uh, and we have advocated for uh, for many years, especially in the last four or five years when it comes to the Parents' Bill of Rights and, and curricular transparency. Uh, and yet the legislature has failed to do it. It's, it's really kind of shocking. And so, uh, yeah, they can tell teacher or they can tell parents and the public that they're doing great, but the, the data is out there and it makes, it's a very clear picture in a lot but of you cases. Gotta do it. But you got to do yeah, the homework. And it, yeah. And, and, and if, and if your listeners are interested, most school rankings.org, you can make those comparisons yourself. Uh, very quickly, uh, cause I'm, I'm running out of time here. Uh, what do you think of the four day work week? Boy, I'd love to have a four-day work week. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, but, and there are a lot of school districts out there that uh, they went to that because they have resource limitations or smaller school districts in general. And what we're seeing now is that districts in urban settings like in Independence, Missouri, just outside Kansas City, they're trying to do it as a way to recruit teachers or, or quote, recruit teachers. Uh, that's not what the law was really intended to do. It was an, intended for kind of the exception, not the rule. And to the extent that... Um, People are going to, or districts are going to move toward a four-day work week or school week. Uh, I think that uh, taxpayers should have the opportunity to weigh in on that because at the end of the day, you know, if, especially if parents are expecting five days of school for their kids and they're concerned about the quality of their kids' school schooling and education, uh, I, I think that moving to a four-day school week is not the right choice for many and probably most school districts. Yeah, I, I question adding an extra hour to the day and then cutting it down to four days when they're not teaching math now, when they're not learning under the five-day work week, uh, just how successful can they be? And then when they have the uh, capacity to <laughs> kind of grade themselves, uh, it just seems troubling to me. Patrick Ishmael, the Show Me Institute, thank you for being with us. Thanks, Gary. All right, glad to have you on. Coming up at uh, 10.35, uh, Ron Calzone is going to be with us. You've heard of, of mice and men. What does he mean by of speakers and men? And what does it mean for you? That's coming up 10.35 on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It's 10.25, Ron Calzone coming up um, of speakers and men. What does that mean and how does that affect me? I want to find out. I'll... I'll get that information at 1035. In the meantime, we were just talking uh, with the Show Me Institute about education. And a human event says high school student test scores on uh, the ACT college admission tests have reached their lowest levels in over 30 years, a trend many are attributing to COVID-19. The problem with just saying, oh, it's all COVID-19, is that... These uh, ACT scores have been decreasing for the last six consecutive years. And I can remember back in the 90s when they uh, lowered the median, the average score. They had uh, apparently the kids were not 
testing uh, at the same level they were in the 60s and 70s, and they changed the metric. Kind of lowered it, dumbed it, dumbed it down. And I keep asking myself, when will people wake up? When will people wake up? We're throwing more and more money at government education. I mean, we're throwing tons of it. And every time you turn around, they want more of it. And they, they're not doing better. They're doing worse. When will people wake up and go, this doesn't work? They're, they're indoctrinating kids, not educating kids. They've gone well beyond what they're supposed to be doing. And and not and not doing what they are supposed to be. It's it's, it's crazy making. We're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Oh well, we need more money. Oh, the teachers aren't being paid enough. Well, we need more money for this and we need more money for that and everything will be better. We'd be able to teach them better if we had more money. We we spend more money per student than God knows. I don't think there's another country on earth that spends more money than us. And the worse, and the results keep getting worse. And then you hear from the public school system, oh, hey, we're, we're doing just fine. We're doing great. Well, things are, you know, really humming. All these kids are getting an it. They're not getting an education. And we just, we, we just don't wake up to this. Uh, Travis, good morning. Uh, on that exact subject and that exact thought, they're setting our kids up for failure from the very beginning before they even get out of high school. My yes. daughter, she she came to Columbia to try to live with her mom. She got straight Fs. They told her that she could take summer school her sophomore year of high school to get all her credits for that year that she straight Fs through. And she didn't get those credits when she came back to New Bloomfield when she you know got back in class. She's now a senior. She doesn't qualify for the A-plus program because of her own mistakes and own actions. But they're trying to give her FAFSA and sign her up for financial aid to go to college when she doesn't even know if she's going to graduate yet. And they're, they're not explaining to her that these are loans, that these are, these are money sent out to get them to go to college where they don't even know that they'll succeed. She has no idea what she wants to do, but yet she knows that she wants to go to college because she's not ready to grow up. And everybody tells her, you got to have a college degree, you got to go to college. And I'm not supportive. I'm not supporting her because I'm not, I'm telling her, you need to go find a career that you want to do and then re find out if it requires college. She wants to go to college for a criminal forensic scientist that she doesn't even know if the job exists here. How are it's her math skills? In, in order to do that, you got to have some great math skills. you got to know chemistry. Extremely and low bar. I mean, I'm helping her with her, with her you know, math. My, my wife helps her with her English. And these are basic, you know, classes that she's struggling with. And meantime, I'm not supportive because I'm telling her that she, at this stage, with the way that she's going will fail out of college 
and owe the college even though she didn't get the education that she thought she was going to get. But that's okay because Joe Biden will forgive I'll the pay. loan uh, and I'll help pay for it. Travis, I got to run, buddy. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, of uh, of speakers and men. What is Ron Calzone at Mo First talking about? Let's find out because I'm curious. Gary Nolan Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 1035 on a Think Tank Thursday, and Mike Murphy is going to be on board. A story that we talked about uh, yesterday here in Columbia with this group of socialist activists uh, seeking uh, to make Columbia a sanctuary city for the LGBTQ community. Uh, I'm a little confused by this because I, I don't know why they would be um, concerned. Why they? I don't. I don't. Brian, have you heard any stories about uh, you know the police or the government going after gays? Uh, no, Columbia, I no. have not. I've been nonstop searching for it, but can't find it anywhere. Mike Murphy wrote a piece on it at Como Buzz with one Z. He'll be with us uh, at uh, 11.05. In the meantime, Ron Calzone is with us, mofirst.org. And cryptically, it looks like of mice and men, but it's not. It's of speakers and men, and I want to know what he means by that. So welcome, Ron. What are you talking about? Well, good morning, Gary. Well, you know, everybody's been following the, the antics of Congress in D.C., and their selection or non-selection for a few weeks of uh, Speaker of the House to to guide that august organization in their in their daily activities, and probably not so many people are following what's happening with the Speaker of the House in here in Missouri, the Speaker of the State House of Representatives. Of course, that's a, a gentleman named Dean Parker, who was the majority floor leader, which is kind of the second most powerful position in the House until last well until January this year. And so starting this year and, and next year, uh, ostensibly, he's going to be the Speaker of the House, Missouri House. Well, <clears throat> there's quite a, a stink over uh, Representative Parker right now. You know, there was a, a, a contract that he was promoting with a company called Fireside, an $800,000 two-year contract that uh, the FBI is investigating him over. And uh, the, the clerk of the, of the House, uh, Dana Miller, has accused him of threatening her position as clerk because she was opposing that contract. That contract, by the way, was would allegedly put constituent data on the cloud uh, with a company that has foreign interests, including Chinese interests. And uh, and now he's under ethics investigation over uh, being reimbursed for expenditures that his campaign paid for. And... And so it's kind of double dipping, and including a almost five thousand dollars seven day vacation in Hawaii. All those are allegations; they're not necessarily true. Uh, we'll see. He again, he's being investigated by the FBI, and I believe the Missouri Ethics uh, Committee in the Missouri House is holding a hearing tomorrow to discuss all this. So, what's my point? Uh, of course, that of mice and men is from that old saying: the best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we've seen with speakers of the House. So since the Republicans took control of the House, there have been 10 Republican speakers, starting with Catherine Hannaway in 2003, up to Dean Parker starting in 2023. A full half of them have either ended up in trouble with the law 
or a couple of them, uh, they gain new girlfriends and lose wives during the time they're sitting in the speaker's office. 50%. 50% of the, of the people that are holding the second most powerful position in the state of Missouri either have ethical or legal or marital problems. And we seem to think that the body can't function without one person having as much power as we give the Speaker of the House. Is that wise? I don't know where to, you know. The... You remember John Deal? No, I do not. John Deal was the, the Speaker in 2015. Remember there was, he resigned uh, over a, a sexting scandal? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, uh, Dean Plocker took over John Deal's seat. You know, so that's the same House district. And and it's interesting that we're seeing, you know, not the same kind of problems. I don't know that anybody's alleging that, that Representative Plocker has been unfaithful to his wife. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's even on the table. But, and, and, you know, maybe these allegations aren't true. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you put all your eggs in one basket, whether it's the Speaker of, the, of, of Congress or the Speaker of the Missouri House, and things can't function unless that that individual is functioning properly. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to put all your eggs in one basket. Of course, it's antithetical to everything that American governance is set up to to be and do, to have so much power concentrated in just one hand. You you do have to have leadership in the House, don't you? Well, but what does what should leadership do? Should, should the Speaker of the House, whether it's Missouri or Congress, should the Speaker of the House be the agenda setter? Should things only happen if one person approves of them? Well, let's look at what might happen if we didn't have a Speaker. Would it, you know, would there be like Helter Skelter? Would there be Miss, you know, uh, would we have uh, conflicting uh Issues going on, at the, you know, all at once. Uh, I, I think that's what they said back in the 1700s when they were trying to decide whether uh, the United States would be a monarchy or a republic. Yeah, that that's uh, that's the executive branch. We're talking about the board of directors. Well, uh, no, I'm talking I'm talking about you know this. The, the, some people like Hamilton wanted the United States to have a king. And yeah, maybe he would be in favor of some checks and balances, like in like Parliament in Britain and so forth. But uh, you know, the old Parliament in, in Britain didn't have that much power. It took them a long time to wrest the power from the monarch. The bottom line is, is the founding generation recognized that the greatest evil for body politic is concentrated power, and they sought to spread that power out as broadly as they could. That's why we have a, a federal federal system with distinct powers for the federal government and a different set of powers for the state government. That's why we have a, uh, a bicameral legislature. That's why we have three branches of government, each with checks and balances on one another. And, and you know, yet we don't have that in the House of Representatives when you have basically a dictator that gets to run the House of Representatives. And that's not a statement about Dean Parker or anyone else. It's a statement about the system. And it just doesn't make sense. Can we come up with a system that allows uh, 163 adult men and women to function without having uh, a dictator do it? Absolutely we can. 
Well, I guess absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Well, and I think the 50% um, I don't know, the failure rate, I guess, of the 10 Republican speakers kind of speaks to that. Well, uh, you've, you've, you've kind of uh, hit this topic uh, several times in the past about the way the uh, legislators bring issues uh, to the table and how they get uh, to be voted on. And I think you make a valid point uh, that you're not a representative of anybody if you can't get your your bills voted on. Uh, well, that's right. Without you know, without kissing the ring of one individual. But that, but the reason that I bring it up today, I'm trying not trying to beat a dead horse, or maybe I am. I don't know. But you know, again, uh, the speaker, the Missouri Speaker of the House, is in the news today. Tomorrow, the ethics committee and the House Ethics Committee, chaired by someone he chose, by the way, is going to do an investigation. They'll discuss it in, behind closed doors because it's a personnel matter. And uh, and we do have, you know, rumors at least. The FBI, of course, won't tell you, but the FBI investigating Dean Parker. You have claims from Dana Miller, the clerk of the House, that she was threatened. Her job was threatened by him because uh, he was trying to push this $800,000 a year contract, and, and you know, the rumor mill is, and I don't know that this has been proven, is, is that one of the reasons he wanted that contract so bad is because Fireside, the company that would get the contract, promised to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to the Republican uh, Central Committees, or to the HCRC, I think, but... Uh, and Clearly, we're seeing we're just seeing problem after problem after problem, and and in U.S. the U.S. House of Representatives, I don't what have they been doing for the last three weeks? Well, fortunately, nothing. Well, that's from my point of view. That's fortunate as well. They could go for another three months, as far as I'm concerned. But just the idea that you're paralyzed because you don't have one position filled. There's no there's no successful company that would run that. So should we have a just a. Uh a, 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 a succession thing, uh, you know, if the speaker's not available, uh, here's the one we go to. And if he's not available, this is the person we go to. Should we have a, a kind of a ladder of, of power? Well, no, the, the fundamental problem is, is that, you know, so they didn't like the speaker in the U.S. House of Representatives. And so, he, you know, he was, his position was vacated by a vote. And, and they think that they're going to do any better with the next speaker. You know, so I guess Mike Johnson has you know, some bona fides that some people are impressed with, and maybe he'll be better. But I would suggest the fundamental problem is the top-down power structure. And you should not be dependent on one man doing the right thing. And so speaking of Britain, when they, some, when someone is selected as Speaker of the House, he resigns his membership with the, their party. And so the Speaker of the House, and this is how it was in the United States to start with, too, the Speaker of the House is supposed to be a facilitator. He's supposed to make sure that the debate and the way the things flow through their, their chamber is orderly and organized, and everybody has a fair crack at things. And we evolved away from that into this idea that the speaker is the agenda setter, that he's got veto power over everything. And that's not the way it should be. You and I aren't represented as long as our representatives don't have one 163rd of the power. I don't the see rules, a change. The rules it, need to be changed. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. That it's going to be a long, tough road in the state of Missouri 
because the people who have to change the rules are the people who are benefiting from the rules as they are. Uh, that's, and so, that's just that's just not right, though. It's not true. Oh, I, because the you, fact of the matter is, is that the, the, each rep votes on the rules. Each rep votes on leadership members, and they're actually actually their constituents are the ones that are harmed most. But when they do that, they are they are ceding the power that their constituents load into them. Yeah, but why do they do that? There is a there is a reason they're they're doing that. They do it because they think they if they if they dissent, they think they'll be marked and they won't get anything accomplished. So I stand by my statement. They're the very they're people not, that you want to change they're it. They're not benefiting from it though. Well, they're they think a, they are. They're they're afraid to bust yes. the system. So they think it benefits them not to. Well, I, I'll grant you that, but there, so, but so not, we, but there is not a true benefit. Is all I'm saying. Well, I'm not. I'm not arguing that. I'm just telling you that's what they think. They think this benefits them, and what we need to do is get people in the house who are in fact willing to stand up. In fact, maybe there should be a movement. Uh, well, a as a matter of fact, there's a there's a new state rep named Maisie Boyd. And she has issued a statement calling on Speaker Plocker to resign, not because she thinks that he's guilty, but because there is enough distraction that it's going to make it hard for him to do his job. Uh, interestingly, Maisie is probably the youngest member of the House of Representatives, and oftentimes we find out that she's the only adult in the room. What we need is... To literally have a, 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 almost like the Tea Party, we, we need to get a group of, of people running for the House who all agree that if they get elected, they will vote to change the rules. I, I agree. And, and that's that ought to be a part of Needs to be asking. When they come knocking on your door and they ask for your vote, ask them if they're willing to stand up for their constituents and vote on rules that don't have such a top-down power structure. Ron Calzone, Mo Calzone. First. Ecazzone. MoFirst.org. Ron, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Gary. All right, quick break. We're going to have Mike Murphy on Como Buzz. Socialists are running loose in Colombia. On the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is 1053. Glad to have you with us. Uh, coming up, uh, Mike Murphy is going to be on board uh, Como Buzz. We're talking about the uh, socialist organizations uh, that are running around uh, Colombia trying to get some kind of legislation passed to, that affects the gay lesbian community. Uh, and, and I'm not sure I understand why this is even necessary, but we'll find out what Mike has dug up. He's written a piece at Como Buzz, that's one Z, ComoBuzz.com. Uh, that'll happen at 11.05. And then uh, Brian Hansen, who uh, engineers the program, he's kind of like a filter. And, and I'll explain this in greater detail. But, for instance, somebody might want to come on the program or have an announcement, and it turns out that whatever it is should be an ad that the sales department sells. And... When, when Brian uh, finds out about these things, he directs the traffic. He says, no, 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 you got to go to the sales department. And that way we don't have any, any confusion. And that way nobody, like, tries to sneak through a message yeah. that ordinarily should be for the sales department, but they're trying to disguise it as yeah. a public service, you know, type thing. And that's why 
everything goes through me because I, I've got these filtering abilities that you would not believe. I mean, you, you, it's yeah. like a steel trap. You nothing yeah. gets through usually. Yeah, uh, I, I always admire your talent when it comes to this, and including this uh, barbecue pork steak dinner. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I I have to get the details from you because uh, I, I'm not quite sure how you arrived at that conclusion. I actually but, didn't receive that uh, email. Did that come directly to you? Because I don't have a copy of that. Well, they said they ran it through. No, uh, no, I didn't get it. So uh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, uh, carry out uh, barbecue pork steak dinner fundraiser. It says uh, presented uh, Sacred Heart. Uh, Knights of Columbus, uh, number 14414 in Ladies Auxiliary. And I guess this is happening on October 28th. That's two days from now. That's yeah. uh, Saturday. It goes from 4 until 8. Yeah, there's uh, not enough time to like promote that like we would recommend on the radio through the sales department. You yeah, know, 15, at least a week. 15 bucks for the dinner? That's you can't good. go to McDonald's and walk away with $15. Uh, and, and get, because uh, they got barbecue pork steak, coleslaw, baked beans, Texas toast, and dessert. Woo! Yeah, we're not going to be able bucks. to talk about that. Has yeah. to be picked up at Sacred Heart Education Building, uh, 105 Wall Street, uh, Columbia, Missouri. Proceeds all go to uh, Sacred Heart Church. Well, they would have, but there's not going to be an event now since we're not going to. Nobody, the information yeah, nobody, nobody will know. The, the event on Saturday at the Knights of Columbus Hall. Sorry. Yeah, do you know which Knights of Columbus Hall? There's only one, I believe. Number 14414 yeah. in Ladies Auxiliary. Yeah. October 28th, that's Saturday, 4 to 8. Yeah, sorry about that. We can't do that. That's a sales message. I'll go ahead and forward that on. If you could forward that message to me, and I'll just send it to sales, and they'll probably say, you know, in the future... You know, a week's time is what we recommend to announce something like that. It yeah, would have been a great... A uh, little lead time. Yeah. It would have been a great event, though. Yeah. I love a, a barbecue pork steak, and coleslaw, baked beans, Texas toast, dessert, all that for 15 bucks, And then all the proceeds uh, are going to the Sacred Heart Church Activity Building Renovation. What a great cause. A uh, few bucks, they'll buy an ad, everything will... Everything will It'll work out. itself out. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, next year, send it to sales that way. Well, yeah, you can do that, or or just uh, you know call the station and uh, the front desk will direct you in the right uh, the right place. Eight seven four ninety three ninety eight hundred five two nine five five seven two. So, Mike over at uh, Como Buzz, Mike Murphy says activists are seeking sanctuary city declaration for Colombia. He says it's two local chapters of the Democratic Socialists of America that are preparing this ordinance. And it, you know, it, you, when you see that they need an ordinance to protect people, that means that somewhere along the line, people are being harmed. And this is to stop that as a law to protect these people. From, but I don't know of anybody being harmed. All right, I got to find out what this is all about. Mike Murphy, ComoBuzz.com, coming up next on The Gary Nolan Show. This is The Gary Nolan Show. 